Hello, <laughs> welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and the crew of me today, we have Commodore Brian Hughes, uh-huh. Chief Petty Officer John Hyatt, present, Captain Kirk Greenfield, good morning, and Admiral David Thompson. <laughs> Admiral. No. Admiral. And as uh, ranking officer, Brian, uh, would you like to tell us what we're going to cover today? We're going to cover the last two issues of the IDW series Star Trek, Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor. I'm not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Uh, I'll be providing the synopsis on uh, issue three. And is it Kirk is going to be providing issue four? Is it John or is it, you know, who's doing that? Maybe a synthesis. We both got a rundown. Oh, excellent. It'd be great to see what, what differences you guys come out if you made your own synopsis. Um, now, you know, the fun thing about these, of course, uh, when when they were publishing these at IDW is that they did multiple covers um, uh, of each book. And uh, this one here had a, a Larry Niven-inspired cover for the, uh, I think it was the B cover, as well as the um, retailer incentive cover. That's the puppeteer. But, uh, That's the... The character is John. that what that is? Yeah, because yeah. I don't know that character. Yeah, it's from the Ringworld series that Niven and Burr apparently is a huge fan of Niven, so he likes to sneak him in. He did it with the uh, Ganthet's tail on that cover. There's a puppeteer mm-hmm. as Green Lantern on that one. Now these, of course, uh, were published in 2010. Uh, this issue specifically was June of 2010 with a cover price of three dollars and ninety nine cents. The B cover price was also three dollars and ninety nine cents, and I'm sure the retailer incentive cover was much more. Because uh, let me take a look here real quick. I didn't see. Yeah, they don't put the cover price on the, the uh, retailer incentive covers, so they can jack up the price to whatever they want. <laughs> hey, that's but, not true. Because uh, retailers no? have to order. No, because they have to order ten copies to get one of those copies. So if you think about their price, look four bucks. So they probably paid two bucks. So you can get twenty bucks into it if you ordered the ten copies. A, t- a one for ten is not going to command a huge. I thought they had to order more. I thought it was usually you had to order maybe a hundred to get an incentive. No, this this is just a one for ten variant. Oh, it's not bad. No. And I, while we were, you know, while I was getting ready to do this um, this issue, I I found on Burn Robotics Burn's website a couple, you know, notes that he had made about the series, and I found uh, some of these pretty interesting, like. He promised to use "I'm a doctor, not a blank" only once. I don't know which issue that was in, though. Wasn't this one? And he, as he said, under the heading of ignoring fanfic, it's worth noting that much of my Romulan Klingon stuff for IDW could not have happened if I had been compelled to treat the James Blish Doc, "Spock Must Die" novel as canon, which I find that interesting because I don't remember the Klingon Romulan stuff, but I just remember Scotty and Doctor McCoy talking about the transporters. Um, yeah, I read that. And, and Spock must die because that, that was that was twenty years. Yeah, because like like McCoy was under the impression that it would disassemble someone or basically kill them and create a duplicate elsewhere. Where Scotty says basically it creates a dark t- tunnel, and you know if you're familiar with relativ- relativistic physics, you know that's something that uh, they I guess came up with the idea in, in the early seventies. Which is funny because uh, this uh, Spot Must Die, I think, was the very first uh, non-canon novel. It was because Blish had done all the, novel. the, uh, the 
They weren't called star logs. That was Alan Dean yeah, Foster. Yeah, the adaptions. Yeah, the, the adaptions. Yeah. And yeah, I, I loved all those. So I figured that if Blish was able to get the characters as well as he did in those adaptations, that he should be able to handle them well. And Spock must die. I don't remember though that you know how well he, his voice was on that. Um, I like the adaptions but, because they're sometimes they were, you could tell they were taken from early scripts, so that they've a lot of it's changed, just look a little different. And obviously, the the bigger scope stuff he couldn't do, and he couldn't do it in a TV show. But I thought what I think was more interesting is apparently Blish was did not there was not necessarily a science fiction guy. He didn't necessarily like science fiction, as oh. opposed to when Alan Dean Foster came along and did the he did the same thing for the animated episodes. And oh, okay. Foster is a science fiction guy, so yes. he expanded on those a little bit more. Now you know Byrne actually created his own Star Trek his own ship, his own crew. And um, he was about 19 when he did it. And, uh, you know, of course, he's saying his world experience is close to null. So when he says invented, he means he cooked up his own own version. He named the ship the Endeavor, and it wasn't a Constitution class. It was not operating in Roddenberry's universe quite by coincidence. So his ship looked like Battlestar Galactica, and that would have been years before Galactica was a thing. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, and so his emotionalist first officer, uh, he borrowed a page from our Daniil Oliver and made him a humanoid robot and gave him very Nordic features. And um, let's see. And then they, they, someone asked him if the series would be Star Trek's version of Dr. Marcus Welby. And he says, I'm, I am deliberately, though subtly, invoking a TV show with this series, but not Welby. And can you guess, even for a moment, you'd have to know some old TV stuff from the 60s. What uh, what series he's talking about? That'd be me. That's my period. But I don't know anything about what he was intending. you have to give me more clues. There was a series in 1967 starring Jimmy Stewart. Um, yeah, and I, we, I think we talked about that when we covered this first issue uh, yeah. our years a couple years ago. It was... Um, Doc. Yeah. I don't think it lasted it was, very long. No, oh, it, was, it was one season, I think, but it was a doctor traveling around the American frontier after the Civil War. There you he go. was training Europe, and he would be bringing to an astonished populace newfangled medical techniques they'd never heard of. Well, for God's sakes, Mary, this thing was built in Bedford Falls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Good. Good. Uh, Jimmy Stewart imitation. I, that I, was I pretty good. Him. Yeah. Thank you. I've been wanting to dig further into it, but I, that was as far as I was able to get up to this point. But he gave a lot of uh, a lot of interesting inside notes. And again, this is all back in 2009, 2010. Um, but let's let's go over what we do know. Uh, again, this is Star Trek Leonard McCoy Frontier Doctor number three cover price of three dollars and ninety nine cents cover by John Byrne. Uh, the story inside is called Medics, written and illustrated by John Byrne, colors by Laverne Kinzierski, letters by Neil Uyitaki, and edited by Chris Rael. Now, this came out in June 2010. It is really the only uh, original work Byrne had that came out that month. Uh, the only other thing that came out was an X-Men Forever Giant Size number one, and I have to assume that's a reprint book. It, it's new work by Claremont and... Oh, camera of the artist, but they, it does reprint X Men One Hundred Eight. I think it's why Burns' name's attached to it. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Anyway, so I will go into the synopsis written by me, because there are no synopsis out on the web for this one. So uh, everybody mm. strap in, because this one is crazy. And I got away from it. One thing I noticed in this story is that Byrne had a very Tarantino way of dealing with time in this story, but I just went ahead and wrote it straightforward. So uh, don't get confused as I get started. <clears throat> Starfleet asked McCoy, his crew, and the Joanna to perform an inspection on a special colony. The last time Starfleet checked on the colony, 10 years prior, the technology was akin to Earth's Bronze Age. But as the Joanna approaches, sensors show evidence of advanced industrialization. Before the Joanna can land, though, the ship is targeted by a missile. Duncan is able to evade the missile with some fancy flying, but the Joanna still suffers enough damage that it has to be landed quickly. Duncan's able to set them down near some man-made structures. The first thing they encounter as they disembark are numerous dead bodies killed in combat. While checking to see if there are any survivors, Thela touches the bare hand, her bare hand to the ground and pulls it back quickly, stating the ground is like it is full of acid. McCoy confirms it is like they were using chemical weapons for years. Now, before I continue, should I do I need to, to, to remind everybody who the characters are in this story? Because we've got, of course, Dr. McCoy, everybody knows him. But then there's Duncan, who's the young doctor that's uh, joined him, who looks a lot like Sam LaRoquette from the Hulk series. And then Thela, the Andorian uh, child of royalty that has hitched a ride along to learn about life. Anyway, as they acquire gloves from the corpses to protect their hands, heavy artillery hits and basically destroys the Joanna. McCoy and Thela are separated from Duncan as they run for cover. Thela wants to go back out into the fray to find Duncan. However, before she can take a step, she and McCoy are captured by some armed soldiers who just happen to speak English. When Thela states again that she is going to go get her man out there, she is struck in the head hard by one of the soldiers. The soldiers take the unconscious Thela and conscious Dr. McCoy to their base, a huge structure full of futuristic tanks and other machines of war. McCoy and Thela are separated by the soldiers and McCoy is questioned. As the second Inquisitor enters, McCoy discovers the soldiers appear to be all clones. But before the Inquisitor can start interrogating McCoy, both the clones fall unconscious thanks to the servo of one Geary Seven. Seven showed up at this convenient moment, but before McCoy gets Seven's side of the story, they're met by Roberta Lincoln. They're, they then rescue Thela and two more of the clones, uh, excuse me, from two more of the clones, as Seven once again uses his servo to knock them out. McCoy revives Sela, but before they can even make introductions, another clone comes down a nearby hallway with two Klingons in tow, one of which is the murderous former Ambassador Romulus, Clor. At this point, Gary Seven is able to bring the Doctor up to speed, telling them of Seven and Roberta's adventure, where they had discovered a program to develop an army of clones for the U.S. military in 1969. See Star Trek Assignment Earth, Chapter 3. The Beta-5 computer that Seven uses took the clones away from Earth and transported them to an inhabitable planet outside any normally traversed space lanes. Seven's people looked in on the planet years later and saw them in a heavily advanced state of warfare and pulled Seven and Lincoln from 1969 to investigate. They discovered the Klingon involvement but determined that there was no threat to the rest of the galaxy. Seven and Lincoln take McCoy and Thela to a nursery full of what appears to be clone children. It is here they're reunited with Duncan, who's unhurt, but before they can discuss further, women enter the nursery brandishing weapons. Gary Seven goes for the servo, 
but gets shot in the shoulder for his trouble. McCoy tries to tend to the wounded seven, but gets a gun in his face from one of the women. The women t then take all of them prisoner and bring them before Clore. The Klingon offers some coffee and recounts his fall from favor after the latest incident with the Klingons and the Romulans. See Star Trek Romulans, Pawns of War for the full tale. His punishment was to search the waste of space for new worlds to add to the Klingon Empire. He found on the world he found that on this world and much more. Getting permission from the Klingon Emperor, Clore provided the clones advanced weaponry and set them at each other so the Klingons could watch the war games and wager upon them. Cloned women were added to the mix, providing a means to resupply lost combatants. Clore then states that since the planet is of interest to the Federation, that it is no further use to the Klingon Empire, and that all traces of their, of their presence must be eliminated. Almost immediately, all can hear the sound of Klingon disruptors laying waste to the surface as Clore and his group transport away. The head clone, number 15, leads McCoy and the rest towards the hangar as it's the safest place to be. 15, though, gets violently killed through a disruptor fire when it hits in front of the group. The corridor collapses behind him, leaving them all trapped. All seems lost. Before they can act on their situation, though, they're beamed away safely aboard the Constitution-class vessel USS Yorktown, NCC-1717, captained by the unnamed former first officer of Chris Pike, also known as Number One, now an admiral. The admiral engages the Klingons and bests them in starship combat, the Klingons blow their ship up, though, rather than being taken prisoner. In the aftermath, Duncan and Thela want to stay behind on the planet to help the wounded, the babies, and the many, many people who have no clue about raising babies or how not to have so many. McCoy then heads back to sickbay, heads into sickbay to check in on the wounded Gary Seven, and stops, surprised as he enters to see a familiar face. Well, I'll be damned, he says. To be continued. The end. Good summary. Nicely Thank done. You. Very nicely done. Thank you very nice. Much. Nice. Yeah. Nice work. I have one one additional. When the Klingons destroy their ship, or apparently destroy their ship, there are no bodies found in the wreckage. Yes. Yeah, I did nope. mention. No life signs were found in the wreckage. It yes. says no life forms. Yes. Uh, the yeah. impression I get is that they may or may not have teleported out or be... Well, you can, see the, you can see the wreckage and rubble of the ship in the Argo Bargle right. on that page. I mean, there's a lot of the green Klingon metal stuff there. So if anything, the external hull of the, of the ship was done. That doesn't mean that they didn't find some way of disguising their own egress. No, they could have, they could have beamed to a cloaked ship nearby. True. But they would have to. Yeah, they could do that. Yep, yep, yep. But it, this was a really fun story. In the, in the, uh, you know, I mean, if you read the other books, and I when I did it, I read them all in order. Um, you know, because I didn't discover them until years later. Yeah. So you know, it's like seeing that that he's tying the plot lines and the stories and the characters, you know, through all of them, the ones that he drew, it uh, definitely you know added to that story, made it a little bit more enjoyable than some of the others. I'm surprised that you like this one because I thought out of the four, I hated this. One. Really? Yeah, I really do not like the idea of them coming upon. I'm just going to nickname it Murder Planet because that's what it was. Yeah, you know, a constant state of war, constant murder. Um, that was really, you know, uh, despicable. It was. It was. It was gross. And their solution is not to go back and not transport these guys. You know, uh, fix their mistake from the past. 
they just decide to let it keep moving forward. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> so it's okay to create a murder planet. You just kind of, you'll fix it later on. No, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Why not just not have it occur at all to begin with? I would have liked that as an ending much better. Like, hey, we messed up. Bad. So you, you suggested you know, that Gary Savage should go back like he did in Assignment Earth, the, the episode, and go back in time and yep. fix what, what he did. This. Yep. Yep. Or knowing what the outcome was going to be, then they should have, you know, uh, I guess helped him out a little bit more, you know, getting, getting started so that you don't create Murder Planet. Well, he, he th- in Assignment Earth, they, he, he hints, of course, that he was, you know, Gary Seven is... Was take he's a human, but he was taken by these other that even the Federations know about this advanced race that kind of right. they're they're very kind of time lord like they kind of overwatch everything and sent him back to 1968 to fix the from the episode he fit the, the 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 they were sending up a a satellite or a missile whatever it was that had to go off and make sure that World War Three didn't start right. so you, you you get the impression he was he was sent back in time to fix this but he says he's really from the 20th century that he doesn't normally travel through time, but they plucked him and him and Roberta and sent them into the future to this planet mm-hmm. to, to fix this. But to your point, if you can do that, why not go back a couple hundred years before? Yeah. Cause this has been what, if they, I'm, if they send I'm them sure there in 70, this has been like 200 that, years. I'm sure that a group like that probably has a temporal prime directive. Of what they can and can't do. I think that comes up in the next issue. Mm. Well, yeah, you could say that they. But not... they, but they caused it. There's a difference between, you know, oh, we we happened upon, the, you know, this. I think we talked about it. Maybe we talked about it last episode. The whole, you can't put your ethics right onto some someone else. Yeah, that's the whole right? prime directive idea. Yeah, you know, you what yeah, are but... your norms could be very different, but in this specific issue. They're directly linking back the creation of Murder Planet to an intervention that they made. Yeah, it's funny because, like in the in the crew story that leads this, um, number one, along with Chris Pike and others, beam down to this planet about twenty years prior, <clears throat> and they just beam right in the middle of an encampment. You know, they they know that these people are not beyond arrows and and uh, pointed sticks, basically. And yet they beam right into the middle of it, which that would seem to be in and of itself a huge violation of the Prime Directive. It's not until they're there for a while that they realize all these guys came from Earth and they're all clones. And so therefore Prime Directive isn't uh, relevant. Well, I I thought I didn't and I didn't hate this, David. I I mean, of of the two, probably I like this one better than certainly some of the the fourth one. But uh I, I, I thought him trying to tie it all together was might might have been too much for a single issue. It, it, he seems to tie it up nicely, but and I like Gary Seven brought back in. Uh, but to your point, if if they if they are <clears throat> once they see that the Klingons are involved and they think, well, this is but it doesn't threat the Federation. Yeah, let let them kill themselves. We don't care. Uh, did they look forward in time and see that nothing ever happened because? If this is the case, had the, the Klingons are interfering with a situation they created that shouldn't have been there, mm-hmm. and the Klingons are interfering, and what if that escalates now these people do, if they don't, you know, maybe 500 years in the future they're going to threaten the Federation, uh, or maybe they're going to help. What, 
Well, what we've seen from this race is that, you know, these clones is that they're so programmed, so ingrained to fight and kill that there is no advancement. The only way they advance is right. by someone else giving them the new technology. So unless somebody says, hey, here's work technology, they're going to stay on the planet and wipe themselves out. Did they explain, and I don't, I, I couldn't find my, cause I needed to reread that because I've read it, but I can't, I can't, it's been so while since I, I can't remember what happened in the, the Gary Seven story uh, or the crew story. Did they explain why, if they're all bred as, as warriors, uh, and I was thinking like, if you've seen the movie, Kurt, the Kurt Russell movie, Soldier, it's like yes. that. They're just, yeah. they're just, bred to to be soldiers why did why would they uh and they were all meant to be in the same side why would they divide themselves up into factions is it because okay there's a hundred of us here all we know how to do is make war well we're gonna have to divide up so we can make war because otherwise we have no way to fight was that that, did they explain that at all no why they would divide up and become two-sided so i mean you five-sided or four four or five-sided yeah they they Uh have multiple armies there well, this so again, is... I, I stand I stand by my issue with this issue, no pun intended. Yeah, and, and it's it's valid. I, I think it's valid. It's just yeah, you know, with the type of stories that we were reading, I just found this one to be a little bit more intriguing and something I, I enjoyed the fact that I had to go back and look at the other stories and and go, okay, that's what happened here, and this is what happened there, and that's why this is tied to here. Um, I mean, Clore's involvement. And, you know, just bringing up the, the Romulan Pons of War, it's simply because, you know, he was there, things went bad, and so that he got stuck on this. That's it. You know, it's not like any of that, the Pons of War story really uh, had that much to do here. Just if you wanted to know where Clore came from, that's where he came from. He wasn't part of official Trek canon. He's someone that Byrne created, if I yeah. remember that right. Well, it it's, I think if he didn't try to tie it in, and if this was just they ran across a, a planet where they've been at war. I mean, uh, these two factions that have just been at war for 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 maybe countless years. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Taste of Armageddon. You know, we've seen yeah. that original series, Private Little War. That is yeah. really influenced by this. Uh, Aaron yeah, to Mercy. Aaron to Mercy is uh, another one. Uh, I got a kind of a. If anybody's, I don't know if anybody's Doctor Who fans, but Genesis the Daleks is similar where the doctor is involved and they there's two sides fighting and he lands and of course each side thinks they're with the other side uh so he's got a lot of <laughs> he's got he's it's i don't want to say it's derivative but he's got a lot of influence from, from things that are uh that we've well, kind yeah. of seen before my my bigger question is from one it, this feels very unklingon like for the klingons to uh decide to you know they're not it doesn't seem like they're using this as a, as a strategic that kind of war games, even though they call it that uh, situation where they're trying out strategies, they're just giving these guys, it's like giving cavemen uh, a couple guns and just watching them kill each other. So and betting and betting on it again. Right. You know, this is, you know, some of them consider themselves to be a warrior race, and they take pleasure in watching, you know, others doing this kind of thing and well, blowing each other it, up. Not I, not to not to sound like Worf, but it doesn't sound very honorable. For and think of it from a hey 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 hey. There's no honor. War was always the uber Klingon. Yeah, I, he I was know. Always yeah. the, the the perfect personification <laughs> was... of the honorable Klingon warrior. But and you you saw many many times in the original series and Next Generation that you know most Klingons were a far cry from that that image. 
So yeah, I, I can see a lot of guys. I mean, come on, you know, even he in our day and age, happy with you, Tim. With <laughs> where we've got you know MMA and boxing and all different types of combat sports out there, we are just like like just a a, a network standards and practices laps away from pitchforks and and nets. You know, out in the arena. Stone that's, how, that's, how I, that's how I thought of this from the Klingon's point of view. It was more like almost like a Roman Colosseum, except mm-hmm. on a planet-wide scale. Yeah. And they would just, you know, drop something into the arena and see what happens. And, you know, they're probably recording it and uploading it onto, you know, Klingon Tube or whatever it is. <laughs> I am Klon, and this is my reaction video to today's battle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> once, once a year they have MurderCon. Um, right. Well, I thought it'd be kind of costly too. I mean, the, the, granted, maybe by Klingon standards and Federation standards, this is not really high tech. Although the tanks look pretty high tech, uh, this be kind of costly to get to provide this amount of resources just for uh, a TV show. I assume, yeah. <laughs> well, I assume they were just basically giving them the blueprints, right, and the raw materials, maybe, right. yeah. on the planet. I'm a doctor, not an engineer. No, you're an engineer. I, I, I'm a little. I have a question about some one of the plots that I know in this comic books. We shouldn't question plots, but yes, John, John in the back has a question. John, go ahead, John. <laughs> so, the the hundred male clones were just beamed away to some hospitable planet, and hundreds of years later, they're still fighting each other for chlorophyll. Or were they beamed into the future from 1969 from that no, experiment? They, they, they apparently lived on that planet. Oh, oh, that's that is a good question. Because when when Gary Seven's people transported him off, did they transport him at the same time, or did they push them forward into a future age? I, I would think that they would have to have stayed on that planet all that time. But yeah. the question so, is how? Did... That's the gist I got from it. Because what we get in the comic was. Things got dicey for a while until our Beta 5 computer reestablished contact with Roberta and me and took care of the hundreds of clones in the most expedient manner it knew. Uh, and it says Beta 5 beamed the clones to an inhabitable planet outside any normal traversed space lanes. And that should have been the end of it. So I didn't see that they brought them forward. It was just they just, you know, well, whooped them away. Okay, you know, like... so that's that creates even a bigger problem because when... Uh, Pike and his crew find them that's 200 years later so are these clones long lived because it doesn't establish that they've been recloning yeah, themselves yeah. so it must be they very long lived yeah and they had to have, they had to have had some way of replenishing themselves if they're killing each other all the time yeah, yeah. they're trying to kill now the thing is that they're using you know the arrows and such there's probably a lot more wounding than killing and it's not until the Klingons start providing them the weaponry but then the Klingons provide them with more ways of replication, you know, with uh, with the women. But you, you but... noticed all those kids <laughs> were all the blonde with hair, the blue eyes. They, well, the, they, the women. Weren't they, already, weren't they already manufacturing clones? Because there's a whole bunch of them strung up and pretty early on in the issue. They're well, like going down the assembly. Well, that's yeah, the thing. If if they're that... if they're if they've clone if they produce the women, and it doesn't seem like they're they're doing. Uh, uh, an episode two Star Wars where the clones are aging rapidly. If they age at normal time, how long has Core uh, or Core been here? They wouldn't have enough time for these kids to grow up and replenish any of the dead. 
Yeah, there are a couple different little holes throughout this story as far as logic. Well, I don't think the, yeah. I don't <laughs> think the babies are I don't think the babies are the way I think the babies are just a byproduct that <laughs> it's the from, distraction he talks about giving them a distraction yeah. from so they must be actually definitely a byproduct producing <laughs> right. Yeah. The the conquering of war, you know, when that tribe of women conquers those boys, and they're like, okay. <laughs> Amazon. Oh, okay. That was just a little strange thing. I'm like, how do they keep... I mean, especially if they're warring and killing each other, eventually there can be only one. Um, <laughs> if anyone gets That's another franchise. <laughs> I know his name. <laughs> Happy Halloween, ladies. <laughs> That's, a uh, so, good, okay. That's a pretty good Kurgan. Just something we have to just overlook and uh, and then go into it. And it also reminds me, remember that one episode where the two planets, rather than uh, having wars, they set up the annual games and they designated people to go and fight each other. And uh, or, or they, they played the war games and then whoever lost the other, that those people had to die or some people it's had to taste die. taste of Armageddon, yeah. And you yeah. just walk into the disintegration booth and up. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's going. No, no, I want to live. Because the other yeah, culture, you know, they, they, you know, our, the, the, the people die, but our culture lives. But Kirk points out, you know, you've made war so sterile, and that you're not afraid of it. That it's become part of your culture. So as you know, you, you should be afraid of. He said, if I were you, I'd start making real bombs because he seemed like he said you're afraid. That seemed like you're something you should be afraid of. And he says, yeah. So you know, that's Kirk stepping in and. and yeah being his thing but this is uh this is gary seven gary gary seven's con moment because he just gets rid of these guys he's like okay i'm gonna ditch you on a planet and not check on you again not worry about it yeah. and then he's gonna yeah. probably has to come back again so this is rather con this is set the alpha fire uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but all, all in all still i I, I say that i enjoyed it um i i enjoyed this one probably more than the other books in the series uh, simply because it was a departure from the, you know, from the other ones. And I mean, the first time I read it, I remember the first time I read it with the, the violence of it and the death that we were seeing there, uh, you know, it, it really, you know, I, I'm not going to say it had me worried for McCoy or Thieler or Duncan or anything, but you know, it just seemed like it was very, very easy for a person to get killed, you know, early on in this. Yeah. And, uh, they were very, very lucky to survive as long as they did. I do like it. He's got a mix of TOS Klingons and uh, motion picture Klingons. Yeah, yeah, and well, I, I always liked because um, you, know, you know in the in the Pons of War storyline, you got to see that mix. You got to see Core, but you also got to see the Emperor and the and and his daughter, who were more of the the big you know wharf type Klingons, and um, then of course there was uh, Koloth. Um, which they they burned really turned Koloth into kind of a real ladies man, <laughs> which is funny because the guy that played him, Bill Campbell, back in the day, he he was more of a fop. He was the same guy that played Trelane. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah, he wasn't really a threat. He wasn't really a threat yeah. in Trouble with Troubles, but not the but way they, uh, um, yeah. uh, John Cal- Calico. Yep, it was in Calico. Air of Mercy. Calicos. Uh, what'd you guys think of the introduction of the? Uh, of number one, or whatever her Admiral One, whatever her whatever designation she, whatever her real name is, um, in the Yorktown. I thought it was a nice poll. 
Have we ever seen the Yorktown before? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, they in in the crew stories they use several different starships. The Constitution, uh, obviously, the Enterprise, and I believe the Yorktown was in in that as well. I think the Yorktown took wrong. place in the War Games in the episode Ultimate Computer. I think it was it was in there. But but Yorktown is one of the actual Constitution class starships besides the Enterprise that actually right. survived, and uh, it was the one that was refit into the Enterprise A. In Star Trek Four, if you read, you know the behind-the-scenes stuff. I did like on the the. I think we brought this up. Uh, well, we brought this up on, on McCoy's ship, but if you look at some of the, it, they've already tried to make some of the transitions. The the uh, panels look more like L cars instead of buttons and switches. Yeah. And the bridge is more muted tones that you would see in the movie. You know that red railing is now blue. Uh, there's yeah. not as much bright colors. It's, it matches more of the uh, kind of gunmetal gray. Uh, the TMP and, aesthetic. Right, right, from the motion picture. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice kind of nod to the way things are moving towards. Uh, and yeah. Do we have it in this one or do we have it in the... No, it's the next issue. We have um, uh, something else. Yeah, we we'll get a lot more of the ship next time. Yeah. Next issue. Yeah. Now, did you guys catch the DS9 reference? The Rock no. Gino? Raktagino, yeah. That I brought that up too. It's like that's a Bajoran coffee, so it's Klingon coffee. No, it's Bajoran coffee, I believe, because that's the one. No, that, sir. Uh... I, I I actually did some research on this as soon as I saw that uh, this time, because <laughs> it pulled me Brian out. This, this is what I was talking about the other night in, in Facebook Messenger with you guys. This is what pulled me out of the story, as I was doing my reread, and it said Raktagino. And I said, I don't think that was ever mentioned anywhere else except for Deep Space Nine. And, you know, to my knowledge, it was Klingon coffee. And if you watch the Deep Space Nine episode, uh, Trials and Tribulations, uh, the Klingons that were on the K-7 station apparently asked for Raktagino also. It, it is Klingon coffee. And so well, maybe that's, memory alpha, that, like, was, that was... Uh, uh, was that with Galron? Galron! No, it was what's her name's. Got uh, for president. It was what's her name's uh, drink. So she and, it, and uh, Cisco would drink it too, but it was uh, yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of his uh, uh, Nana Visitor's character's name. Anyway, yeah. uh, Major Kira. Major Kira. That's what she but, was drinking. So maybe I thought um, that's it, because it she, got all over the place because I think O'Brien was even asking for it in Trials and Tribulations. One of the or, or the. The waitress came up and said, "Please don't request Rock to Gino." <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah, his, his was usually double uh, coffee, double sweet. Yeah, you don't watch too much Trek. Or I'm thinking about Hospra. <laughs> or I'm thinking about Hospra, which is the Bajoran kind of burrito they would eat. And the Jumja stick that uh, yeah. from Colmini told me that uh, the Jumja sticks were just large, like ginger goo, but very tasty. Uh, also, uh, I killed it. <laughs> you killed it. You killed the conversation. I did. Went too deep into track. Name we dropper. We couldn't get out. We all died. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, uh, the two other doctors leaving um, in this story? I thought that should be the end of the series. That this to me that felt like okay. Why are they leaving now? It's like they're moving. Yeah. Leaving mid season. Um, right. I understand. They found their purpose. Yeah, that's cool, but I would rather have that be the end of the series. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, but whatever. <laughs> oh, everybody, you it, know. Yeah, and you know the page where the Klingon ship supposedly explodes. 
Who's that crewman at the science station, or you know that 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 says their engines are superheating? He's got very unusual ears and and whatnot. Maybe he's the same race as that as that guy from The Way to Eden. I don't know. It that's, looks like uh, it. that's Private Dicky Johnson, <laughs> Doctor uh, Severin. The original series, <laughs> yeah. episode eight. Episode eight. What? Which one was that? I don't recall. The Way to Eden. No, that was the Way, way to Eden's the third season yeah. episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm joking, by the way. I have no idea what that guy's <laughs> Yeah, but it just uh, you know, he's he's very unusual looking, but not any race that I recall, unless unless it was you know Doctor Severn. Yeah, the ears are too distinctive. Well, Doctor Severn wasn't wasn't uh, like pink skinned, so yeah, this is probably something that either he's created him or it's uh, it is a reference <laughs> Wait, to something else. Why is that pink skin line? Wasn't there? Wasn't that an episode two or something? Or something? So one race has pink skins, and the other one was it the Andorians? The Andorians call humans pink skins. <laughs> that's right, pink skins. <laughs> that's that's, that's why, you and me, David. We're the pink skins. Pink skins when you've got guys like Duncan who is not pink skin. That's incredibly racist. It is. <laughs> it is, especially I mean, coming from it, one of those blue bastards. The pink skin sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> 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 we better they call us the blunt skulls, like like the cone heads. Oh. And yeah, and and then the other comment that I that I I wrote down as I was rereading this story, you know, there was two things. Number one, um, Gary Seven looks to me like Indiana Jones, like Burns' model for Indiana Jones that he had, just with different hair. And I think I made that comment before when 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 Tim and I were talking about this a couple of years back. I think I made that comment. Before. I think he and I think he did a better job in his the in his series that we covered than in here. It yeah. doesn't really look like Robert Lansing. It, it kind of does. I mean, it hints at that if you know that's that's supposed to be. It's the eyebrows. It's yeah, the, yeah, the it's, eyebrows. The, it's the eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, same way McCoy is. You know that you know he had to come up with a, a, a version for McCoy, but. Uh, all the clones look like all the clones kind of look like, except without the perm, they look like. Um, uh, what's what's the, the the what's the race Bannon pro, uh, analog for in, on uh, Venture Brothers, the big burly uh, guy? Somebody watch the Venture Brothers? No, sorry, uh, lost me with that one. Oh, uh, well, it's yeah. it's kind of a Venture Brothers is to me kind of take off of Johnny Quest, but there's a big guy voiced by uh, um, Putty from Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of the race bannon kind of over the head yeah. but they don't look like kind of tall blonde yeah they do look kind of like tall blonde Aryan. you know i'm sorry i see race bannon now i think of mike pence um uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but another thing that that kind of got me here of course i forgot that when gary seven used his servo on somebody that they would get that weird grin on their face as they would go you know go down unconscious mm -hmm. And so this the scene where they go to rescue Thela and he comes in and he hits the thing. The two guys have these weird grins on their face like a like a Ken doll. Just a right. <laughs> weird right. ugly smirk stuck on the face. I just found I noticed that, that too. Comical. I wondered what was going on. Yeah, but yeah, going back to the the episode assignment Earth, yeah, they that's what happened. He did that and they would get into that weird smile and he'd put him down and say, you know, sleep for an hour or yeah, whatever. It's, it wasn't so much it knocked him out of his more suggestive. It, it kind of put him under his kind of under his control. I thought Gary in this, I don't know why I did think about this, but he's a little bit like the doctor. He's got a companion, yes. he's got a mm -hmm. sonic yeah. screwdriver, 
and he misses exactly. around in time fixing things. Yeah, so. you didn't make that connection before now. <laughs> well, no, never. What's that? It's a sonic screwdriver. Never fails. Gee, I wonder why that series didn't get picked up. Legal. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, the sonic <laughs> screwdriver was introduced until the end of the Troughton era, which would have been 69. Don't go too deep. Stay on the surface. <laughs> don't, want to go, don't want to go in a rabbit hole. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think about not having it, the? because he established it, he doesn't have the bookend at, you know, with Kirk reading a letter. This is almost this almost it's picks a continuation up considering right. the last panel right it's not like a one and done like all the other the other two issues were so i thought yeah. that was a little oh wait a minute how come we're breaking with what you've already set up yeah i did want to to ask one last thing and that was on the page where chlor offers him Ractagino, and he gives a recap of what happened and what he's doing there the the bottom panel does that look unfinished where you see the people watching the battle and they're cheering and drinking. Yeah, you know what I'm talking finished. about there? The yeah. panel itself looks unfinished. It's like the, the coloring. Uh, or yeah, it, it looks like, he, it looks he like a this, smaller image that was blown up. Well, he, he did this in the uh, show that it's like a flashback because he did it oh, when they were recounting the story a few pages earlier of how the clones got there. It's, it's like, um, I think it's an artistic choice by Byrne. Because yeah, I thought I this, so. thought the same thing initially too. I I do want to point out a couple things on the artwork side. Uh, I think you had said it, Brian, in your summary. When that one clone gets taken out trying to lead uh, Duncan and McCoy yeah. and Tila, oh, you could just almost like hear it, like just you know, just I mean, that kind of like that was kind of like Wolverine getting scragged by the Sentinel in Days of Future Past, but right. even worse. Right. And then I really liked his artistic choice with the uh, Klingon ship blowing up. You know, it was, it took me a second to realize, you know, it was like it had gone right supernova, right, for lack of a better term, right, with the engines blowing up. And you just have the silhouette of the Yorktown and this huge bright ball of light. I thought that was really neat. That is cool. And it's, that's very, that's yeah. something you would see on TOS. A lot of times it would just be a, a glowing ball to represent something that's gone up. But. Um, it wasn't crazy about the debris. The next page looks like right. they're floating through a bunch of weeds. But um, yeah. one, <laughs> that's I think, I, that's, yeah, it's like one. Uh, if if it's get if it's go up like this, I don't think there's gonna be debris left. Right. It's all yeah. atomized. Um, right. But if Star Wars has proved anything, you can go up in a huge fireball, and huge chunks of ships can survive. <laughs> well, you know, it made me think of um, Star Trek 2009 when they ejected the core and the explosion that happened on that. And they, of course, had to get away from that. And, you know, it's like that. And, you know, you sit there and you think about the various type starships. You know, I, I don't know what the Klingon warp core was. Federation, of course, is that dilithium crystal matter antimatter mix. The Romulans use a quantum singularity, which is basically a black hole. So if the, if the Romulans let their core go up, their ship would just implode upon itself, I think. What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? Yeah, I think the Klingons probably use some type of, same as the Federation, some kind of dilithium. Uh, anti it is a Klingon collider. <laughs> Still, I, again, I, I found this one fun, and there was a lot of discussion on this, even though David didn't like it. There was a lot, a lot to discuss. Yeah, I, I'm glad you liked the murder planet. 
it was a lot of fun for you. Well, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I admit it freely. I watch boxing and MMA, so I guess there's a little part of me that just might be a little barbaric. Well, and here's something we I'd haven't rather brought... see other people do it instead <laughs> of myself. We haven't, uh, uh, we haven't brought up is how did the Federation? Do they just run across this planet as ships do when they're out there? You know, they're out there boldly going. Nobody's gone before. They run across planets. And it gets, and I guess they do scans. It is tagged as this is low-level uh, technology. We can't do first contact. So they, you know, put a pin in it and contact Starfleet and say, "Hey, we need to check on this planet every once in a while." Is that the situation? Because it seems like ten years ago. Yeah, they were they were checking on it every ten years. Right, is what they'd said. The first one twenty years ago is when number one and the crew that she was with then, and that was Robert April's Enterprise, um, came across it. And, um, yeah, the, and, and you figure, and what it just goes to show is that Starfleet's not very good about checking up on stuff because they're, they're not, you know, it's like, the alpha five. Exactly. <laughs> they definitely don't have a track record for that, do they? <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just basically a way, a way of saying that the Federation is probably spread way too thin Whoa. and they just, you know, by the time they get to next gen, They've got outposts watching everybody because you remember the what was that one with uh, Ray Wise in it, where he was uh, offshoot of the, of the Vulcans that saw them and called them his gods. And they shoot Picard with an arrow in that episode. I forget what it was right. called. Oh, who watches of the Watchers? Gods and men. Who watches the Watchers? Who watches the Watchers? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, so the Federation, you know, later on, they get all these, you know, viewing posts and whatnot. And I'm sure that's a direct result. It is probably called the con imperative. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. probably what happened is Kirk just um, omitted that from his, uh, uh, from his, uh, his report. Of course, yeah. he had, he'd have to explain how Lieutenant MacGyver, whoever, is no longer on his crew. True. Uh, is MacGyver was on the crew. Is that what you said? <laughs> Lieutenant MacGyver? No. Right. It's MacGyver. Was it MacGyver? It's not with MacGyver. It was MacGyver. I can't remember. The, the, the woman that falls in love with Khan. Um, right. Historian. Is, that, that, it, that's the cause of everything because she dies and that drives Khan nuts. So if John, if Khan had a little better pest control and kept those SETI eels out of his, out of his uh, house. But, um, so it's all his fault. It's all, yeah, it's, yeah I'm going to blame the victim. Uh well, something they don't ever establish in Starfleet is that you would think that they would be putting cones around planet all the time. Put warning cones about, hey, don't go down there or something or, you know, because they would the you would see it more more next gen that they would like, oh, Starfleet wants us to go and check out this planet when really it would be more. They've got to be some kind of uh, uh, archaeological ships or something guys that would trained to study other races that would they would send that i don't so i don't know why they sent a medical ship with only three people on it to go and check and let us let's say just wanted somebody to run some scans for the whole planet why not send a ship dedicated yeah, it, to studying this, this stuff this seemed a lot like you know somebody's alarm went off on their outlook calendar and it says go check on this planet so yeah. it's like Ah oh, man, we gotta send somebody. Who's there? And you know, McCoy's out there with, with his people. Okay, go ahead and send him. Oh, I had the impression that the Yorktown was the follow-up, the uh, the yeah. backup, and that these folks were from the Yorktown, or that they were going in concert. It's not spelled out, but that was just the impression that I got. But 
the Yorktown just arrived later. Yeah, the Yorktown showing up though, I I didn't I don't recall reading anything that said that they were going to and then they did. But I don't I don't know if they sent out a distress signal when the Joanna was getting knocked down or or what. But uh, I again I, I, there's a couple leaps in the story that that don't make it necessarily the best, but still at the same time, uh, like like I said, I found it enjoyable and the. Uh, the surprise thing at the end, of course, we don't get to see what it is, but it's pretty pretty obvious what, what who we should be seeing there. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, shall we move on to the next one, or do we need to take a quick break? I was going to comment on the, the person that shows up at the end until just yeah. a few minutes ago. I didn't catch who that was. I thought that was Roberta Lansing. Roberta Lincoln? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. you're right, you're right. Um, Terry Gar, I, I was like... Wait a minute, he's going to check on them. Why is he so surprised unless, oh, gee, Gary 7 is better already? I didn't catch until just now who they're foreshadowing. It's uh-huh. like the light bulb came on. It's like, oh, I know where this is going. Uh, wait, this way, well, Major, Major Barrett Bar- gets to play two, two roles. Two roles. Yeah, I was, I've got a note for that, too. All right. In the same room. Yeah. I think I think we're good. Does anybody need? Do we need to take a a quick break between uh, this and the next two short stories? You know, because the next issue is split into two. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. good. All right, let's move on. All right, who is going to tell us? uh, Like I said, issue four is split into two stories. So who's going to take the first one called Hosts? The Kirk. Oh, I've got my Kirk. You want to do it, John? I've got my uh, summary that I wrote here, John. What do you want to do? No, it wasn't me. It was David. Oh, oh, was David? David doesn't have a summary. All right, Kurt. Well, I guess well, it's. I guess you're on. You're up. You're on deck. Okay, give me just a second here. I'm scrolling back on Free Comic Read to to flip over to the fourth thing, uh, fourth issue here. Uh, you know, and while while you're doing that, I you know one of the things I'll state that I, I found out today that I did not know is that Byrne prefers. The uh, the original version of the Enterprise, even over the refit. Now the refit's always been my favorite looking version of the Enterprise, but uh, he he prefers the original series version much better, saying it it looks much stronger than the the refit of Enterprise when looked at from certain angles looks like a duck. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I've got the fourth issue here. All righty, excellent. Okay. You're going to find that I'm, I go a little bit faster and it's a little bit more condensed. So feel free to jump in afterwards and fill in any details that you want. This is the fourth issue of Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor. The cover, uh, Byrne has noted, is after Rembrandt. And I did not catch that. Apparently it's a recreation of a famous scene of surgery that uh, Rembrandt had done. Um, it's new to me. Written and illustrated by John Byrne and the rest of the creative team. I'm not going to struggle through their names, but the same colorist, letterer, and editor, apparently. There are alternative covers that are in black and white. That's, again, another doctor joke. It only hurts when I, and I don't know how to pronounce that word, but uh, those are the alternative covers. The first story is titled, Hosts. Goodbyes are being said to Duncan and the Blue Andorian woman, Fella is her name, I guess, who have decided to... Thela, who have decided to stay on the clone world, or murder world, as some call it. So six people are being beamed down. Goodbyes are then also said to Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln, who have been unseen in this issue prior to this point. I thought maybe it was significant that they were hiding them from the other crew, but I wasn't sure. 
He, Fury 7, has heavy eyebrows like Robert Lansing, but she doesn't look like the, the image of the living actress Terry Garr at all. Bones invited them to stop by Earth and to visit with Jim Kirk, but Lansing says that they have uh, work to do. I'm sorry, Seven, I should say, says they have work to do, and Roberta wants to stop and visit her boyfriend in Vietnam in 1970. Boy, she in for a surprise. The beta computer beams them out. Dr. Christine Chappell is puzzled. Her patient has complete retention of anything that she reads. She has complete retention of anything she reads. Hasn't seen anything like this since Gary Mitchell and the Dr. Elizabeth Freezer Box in the pilot where no man has gone before. The Yorktown, captained by number one, played by Major Barrett, visited Sigma Theremin 3B, a gas giant in the Orion sector. There they found mutated insects with large geometric hives, worms that had math in base 11, and birds with extraordinary bird nests. Lieutenant Mahler was soon dismantling the comm system. However, he dies soon after as his brain expands and they term it that it exploded. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. The bridge crew also quickly goes space happy and have uh, half the team have to subdue the other half. A new character, Dr. Charles, wants to tranquilize the patient and talk with her as Bones and Chapel return to, uh, to sickbay, but Chapel gasses him. But Bones sees where Dr. Charles was trying to go. He tries to talk to Charles with the Universal Translator and instead gets a drunken disease that responds. Shades of Wolf in the Fold and the uh, awful laugh and uh, satanic echoes there, but I guess that's not where they went. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's advanced DNA that is drunk upon infecting the humans. Finally, in a flashback, Bones explains to number one that the DNA didn't understand and just basically wants to help. They will be returned to their native planet. But until then, they have the smartest crew in Starfleet on the Yorktown. The second story is called Scapel. And aboard the Vegan Queen, is that an in-joke? I'm not sure. Uh, the Vegan Queen. <laughs> Dr. McCoy is taking R&R at a pleasure palace planet. He wants to see his daughter, hey but yo. is met. Say again? What was I just that? said, hey, yo. Okay. <laughs> he, he wants to see his daughter, but he's met by his niece. And that did make sense to me. Who almost doesn't recognize him with his beard. She takes him to Alex, who I assume is his brother-in-law. It's not clear, as I recall. I think it's an old schoolmate. Oh. I think she's affectionately calling him Uncle uh, Leonard. They're not really related, I don't think. Okay. Alex is confined to a chair. He has a fatal disease, but wants to show bones all before he expires. They descend to an ancient cavern filled with modern computer equipment that's very old. And every single switch has a label, bat this, bat that. No. Um, <laughs> he activates the computer by hand palm print. Flashback to the discovering of the cavern and the opening of the tomb. Right-wingers attack and kill all the... Uh, archaeological team except for Alex and native Dr. Carlos. Alex masters the machine and watches his discovery of the tomb in flashback and discovers he can influence himself so that he opens the tomb correctly in a nice bit of circular logic and grandfather paradox. Alex tracked back the attacker who killed his daughter, 
I guess. Uh, he influences their thoughts and tracks him back to his parents' initial meeting and prevents the attacker from ever being born. When he emerges, he finds his daughter alive and the culture now flourishing. Alex admits to influencing thoughts and philosophy throughout history and creating the pleasure palace culture that flourishes on this planet. Bones is shocked as he remembers shades of Edith Keeler and the City on the Edge of Forever adventure. He warns of the danger of erasing someone and all their progeny from history. Alex has an attack and lies dying. He asks for Bones to do the right thing. Bones mulls this over and decides not to write to Jim Kirk about this after all. Flash, and then a coda at the end. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk and Scotty are inspecting the final upgrades to the Enterprise. Kirk is informed once again that there's no monthly letter from Bones, and he dismisses it, saying Bones had an interesting experience on the Yorkshire he was going to describe. We are left to wonder what Bones actually did, or if he influenced the retrofit of the Enterprise as well or how much of what we've seen in this series is his fantasy or his repair of the bad events that have occurred earlier in this series. The end. Good synopsis, Kirk. Good. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Well, I, uh, I embroidered a little on the end there, but did any of the others of you catch some of the significance there at the end that they never explain what Bones does or did, or do you have your own opinion? Well, they did by not... Bones even says it, uh, so I will do the right thing, uh, oh, sorry, so I will do the right thing, though not what Alex Hathaway intended, and that means you will never receive this letter because I will never have written it. So it, it tells happened. you right there. Never so what happened. do you think, what do you think he, he did then? I think he undid everything that guy did. Yep, yep. And On so that planet. The girl is dead. Yeah. And he, of course, has died, you know, from his, his disease. So I didn't get that. I mean, that that makes sense that he would undo it, but to me, that is also him tinkering too much. I thought it was more him because he didn't want this to get out. He was more erasing his own memory, so that he, that everything pr- proceeded as as normal, except he would either erase his memory of it or erase his that he would never show up there. More like if you ever read the book Sphere, how when they get the power, they decide mm-hmm. to make themselves forget they have the power. That's what I felt mm-hmm. like. Not that he was going to go mm-hmm. back and try to... Because how would he know exactly what uh, Alex had done unless he kept very detailed records to go back and change He wouldn't. He'd only, have to change, he'd only have to change one thing. Alex. Or two things. Yep. And it would undo everything that Alex did then going yeah. forward. All he'd have to do well, is that, go back yeah. and have Alex not do the first change. Yep. And never, or never find the computer or something like that. And how it cascaded everything, yeah. That's what he could have Did done. They... I, I didn't, I didn't see that. But of course, Alex himself, when he makes his first change, that would have eliminated probably the 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 cause of his daughter getting killed. So he would never probably have, if he had changed it enough, he never would have found probably the machine. So it's that kind of paradox that you know he's 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 changing it, but then he never would have found the the, the machine to make the changes to do uh to get back to where he was it's right i thought this is interesting did those okay. aliens remind you of the green aliens from the other issue yes yes I didn't, I didn't, same kind of face yeah i didn't i was, I was not happy with it <laughs> yeah same here <laughs> i had I, I laughed so it's so, so still silly the when you know the, it's the whole uh hitler 
thing, right? Would you go back and kill yeah. Hitler? But it goes yeah. it goes back to the, the the killer as a baby, and it's like, oh, look at me, I'm a little baby. <laughs> He's got his mouth. <laughs> and Alex is like, delete. Uh, get rid of him. And you shall never live. So say I. This felt like he was he was pulling heavily from uh, Forbidden Planet. Like he's yeah, found the krill underground, uh, and he's Morbius, and he's he's mucking about with stuff. Um, I thought this yeah. this was of the two. I didn't like the, the host. I didn't like that story at all. Uh, this one I thought was very interesting. It poses a lot of interesting concepts that I wish this was expanded, and he had done more with this, and kind of ignored the first one because I wish this could have been a because you could do a lot of stuff with this about yeah. You know, but that was that second story is a retread, you know of. We've seen that many, many times. Yeah, that was th- yeah, that's why I, th- I, I honestly got bored with. I was reading the host. I'm like, I know where this is going. This has been. Ha- this has happened. Yeah. This is how many times has this happened on Next Gen. Um, so, well, I thought the second story was the retread. Now, the first story I thought was more interesting, although I didn't like the ending because it just rubbed me like it was like the right, and they all like jump in the air. Everything's happy. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, this thing killed members of your crew. You know, not not the time to be making jokes, right? Like, oh, I guess you got the smartest crew in that fleet. Still, with the, with this one here, with uh, with Alex, the one thing that you know sits there in the back of my mind is way back on the planet where they got the Guardian of Forever, and you know they've got Starfleet officers that now monitor it and watch everything that's going on, and you can just hear it sitting there saying from time to time. All is as it was. All is as it was. And you, you figure the Starfleet officers go, wait, who just said it back? McCoy. <laughs> oh, okay, him. Him again. <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know if I absolutely agree this is a retread, David, but I, I agree that it's not necessarily anything new. But at least it, this, I think, has more to discuss than the, the previous one with the disease. That is just cut and dry, and it's like, okay, what, there's nothing to just talk about. This at least talks about, you know, you know that the prime directives. Yeah, there's a, the prime directives there for a reason, and this is the exact reason why you don't. Uh, it's and it's it's. Uh, well, it's absolute power, right? Corrupts absolutely. Right. right. If and he, he had just left it alone. At I've saved my daughter, you know, and I now I'm putting away the machine, and not had the ego to say, well, I'm going to make some more tweaks along the way, and I'm going to make this even better. I mean, he he got punk, you know, punch drunk on playing God. Yeah, you know, and who knows if he hadn't, and if he had not contracted this disease, would he start? This is, and I don't know if it's located. If it's just he could just influence this planet, or can he reach back? You know, then he starts looking at uh, the Federation, like, well, we could have done this. Let let me go back and prevent that. Uh, and then, trying to prevent his own disease could wipe him out of existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. You know, there was something Kirk had mentioned early on about Roberta Lincoln's character not looking at all like Terry Garr. Right. The The fact of the matter is, is that they never got her likeness rights because she doesn't want to have anything to do with Star Trek ever again after that experience. She really right. did not enjoy it. And right. so really? They, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, she, it was weird. She won't talk about that. I guess she won't talk about that episode. Darn that Shatner. <laughs> well, or was <laughs> it Roddenberry? Could have been Roddenberry. I mean, he's they got were, the were... reputation. Yep. 
But, I mean, she just did not have a, a great experience. You know, other actresses, of course, you know, were always cool. Joan Collins has always been very gracious. And um, what's her name? It was in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Sally Kellerman, always been incredibly gracious uh, about their Star Trek experience. But Terry Gard did not have a good experience. So, And there well, are other she people. She was they, an airhead. You know, she was played for laughs <laughs> and mm-hmm. as, as a Goldie Hawn character. So, yeah. although she may be assisting... Uh, Robert Lansing or Gary Seven, in you know, and her character may evolve. She's basically just eye candy and a stupid well, blonde. The but, computer but made it clear that she, she was, was smart. Hard, yeah, in, the, in this episode, yeah. it says she she hides it. So like she's yeah. not uh, she's not confident in her own intelligence. So she's hiding it. But I think he, that's fine if she doesn't look like Terry Gar. Uh, right. We know who she is. Yeah, we know who she is. I. Uh, <laughs> We know who she, she is. <laughs> I thought his uh, his his drawing of uh, as Chapel was a little more, in some cases, more on the nose than Number One. Very uh, photo or, reference or Abba his One. Chapel. Yeah, yeah. But his his images of of Chapel, when you look at her from certain angles, you can tell. Yeah, that's photo reference. That's photo reference, and it, it looks like it came from the motion picture. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess we assume that she's. I guess she's head doctor on the Yorktown, and I guess she'll ask for a transfer once the Enterprise gets refit, because they had that little back and forth about him saying, "Oh, the the, the med bay doesn't look very up to date," and she goes, "Ah, oh, right. you know, they don't they update their weapons first, and they can you know that it, it trickles down to the um, to the medicals. Yeah. That that's kind of uh, see, and that's <laughs> that's the thing I thought Brian was talking about in issue three that he didn't like. I forgot that it was in issue four. That military comment really pulled me out. Like, well, wait a minute, you know? Yeah, because they, 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 at least more next gen, they, they, they try to emphasize that we're not really a military. Right. We're quasi-military. Right. We're not that. But right. I think he was just trying to hint to, you know, when McCoy beams on in the, the motion picture, he says, I bet they've changed the whole sick bay because the engineers love to change things. So I think it was just kind of trying to tie in with that. But I didn't, I thought his. And I, I noticed this with Burns. Sometimes he'll come up with like a high concept, and I consider this a high concept that intelligence evolved first on this planet, and then life forms came later. But it's hard to explore that in eleven pages, and it's just another disease that has some odd effect on the crew, and, and <clears throat> the doctor has to come up with a cure for it. And to your point, it's like if, if this is the case, why not just have this intelligence? If if they can coexist. Uh, without destroying the host, just leave them in there. That way, you've got super smart yeah. humans. Let them stay there, you know, or let them as sit long down. As it and not turn the brain to mush. Yeah, yeah. Or let them sit down there and. Uh, uh, I, I love how write, write all the stuff down. I was gonna say I love how the story specifically calls me out, though. Oh. And one of, one of the pages, yeah, there's a scene where someone says, "Brian, stop! You'll wreck the ship." <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much me. That's Brian. That's, uh, as as the crew on the bridge were starting to get out of control. I see and, it. Well, and I want to ask the the doctor that tried to communicate at first. That's an actor. He's because that looks like somebody. There's either somebody burned it nose does. or it's Charles? an actor. Doctor Charles. Yeah, that looks like somebody yeah. that I should recognize, but I don't. That's I don't. Chris Rael. <laughs> that's not Chris Rael. Yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. He looks older. Look at that. He looks much look older than Chris Royale. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure you know he was using photos, and he just tried um, to make him someone that looks more like. That, it but... looks a little more like Tom Bosley to me. Yeah, 
Well, he gasses him too. He knocks him yeah. right out. And yeah. Basically, he's a one-page wonder. Yeah. I do like the thing that McCoy puts on his head. Looks like the thing he used in Star Trek Four to on revive Chekhov. Yes. So, but okay, to so David's I, point, I it was it was research. yeah. They have kind of a you would have that jaunty exit music, and yet they've got two or three or more, at least three that I know of that have died. <laughs> Dead <Right>. rule. <laughs> right. Ah well. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's space. You're gonna lose yeah. a couple. They're you know they're not red shirts. I guess they're uh, blue shirts, but it, you know and it, it it seemed like a horrible way to die too, right? I mean they basically like fought oh, themselves wow. to death, you know, yeah. like ah ah, and their brains just <laughs> went to mush. Brain and brain, what is brain? I mean that, it doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to go. So yeah, I thought that 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 ending just kind of rubbed me wrong, like oh, really. Well, I don't think he stuck the ending very well. Again, I thought it was it's a high concept that he kind of. It mm-hmm. just it felt it felt rushed, and it felt like oh how many times we've we seen this and it was like I would much rather him just not done this story and expanded on the other story and done more of the time machine. Yeah, Second. more of the time machine, or you know, at least he could explore that more. There's there's nothing here to explore really, I think, and or ditch that story and explore and then and expanded this one more. So I thought I don't know if I I thought dividing the last issue into two stories was like did he run out of ideas did he not have enough i mean let's do a fifth issue so we could devote enough time to each one of these um and to leave it on this kind of he's kind of been going on these kind of kind of you know they've been life-threatening but they, they're kind of some fun adventures and then suddenly it, it leaves on this very heavy note of well you know my <laughs> yeah, friend's going to the burger planet was a fun adventure well, well you know what i'm talking about you know <laughs> <laughs> you just won't let that go, will you? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Anybody no. catch the uh, appearance of uh, Magil Barrett on two sides of the same panel when the Doctor and Number One finally come face to face? It's in the first story. It's about halfway through when they're talking about his brain exploded. On the right-hand side of that page, we've got uh, Chapel talking over the communicator to Number One. They do have a face-to-face on the bridge no. later, don't they? Yeah, they yes. have a face-to-face on the bridge yeah, but, later. But, but it's not shown quite as clearly. But look at the way he's he's drawn this. Is, is, I don't think this is on purpose or it's pretty clever. You never see them, you know, obviously when they're talking, that's a split screen. You could do that easily yeah. with the same actor. Every right. other time you see them together, one of them has their back to the camera. So it would be done with a exactly. double. So he's actually done this as if well, they would do it if they were filming it. I thought that was kind of cool. That is interesting, yeah. <clears throat> I caught that too. Also, uh, the doctor that I called Dr. Charles is not. That's his first name. His last name is Gibney. I've just noticed that. It's Dr. Charles Gibney. That's an odd last name, too. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I laugh because there's certain things that just trigger weird words in my brain. And the Gibney thing, as soon as I heard it, I thought of like giblets. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like the uh, the scanner. When he's scanning his his, uh, his head, and you get like that almost like just crazy looking flesh and yeah. teeth, you know, it's just Arr. what are you talking about? Um, Bones is examining him, and in the monitor, it's got the oh the yeah flesh. You know, I was like, Ooh. yeah, that is pretty grim. Yeah, that's not Gibney that he's looking at. That's uh, that's Commander Giblets. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, this is uh, kind of similar to uh, there's a season one six million dollar man episode that stars Shatner. He's an astronaut. He returns from space and he somehow gets affected by radiation or something, and suddenly he develops kind of mental powers. No, but it's radiation. It's the radiation. <laughs> <laughs> and but as a process of that, he starts to burn himself out and he dies. Uh, I think it's called burning bright or something. It's like the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. That kind of thing. So right. this is their brains. Are, their brains are kind of on overload. So. Um, this felt kind of like a more of like a next gen story. This feels like mm-hmm. this would happen to the crew. Picard would find some way to talk to it. He'd Cause, surrender because the day. <laughs> no, he would talk. He would. He would have a long, thoughtful <laughs> discussion with it. <laughs> well, he is. Well, he is French. <laughs> oh, oh! You had to go there. Sacre bleu! Too soon. Sacre bleu! <laughs> Too soon. Um, I did. Before I forget that same page with scanners looking image, you know, with the face. And again, I don't know why it popped into my head, but um, the the split panel, the way that her face looks. <laughs> and again, I don't know why, but all I could hear in my head was Harrison Ford going, "Get off my plane." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what maybe what's what's throwing me off is he's he's trying to draw. I think number one is older. So it's not like Major Barrett's playing both parts. I think the Admiral's obviously supposed to be older than Nurse Chapel. So she's, yeah. he's trying to age her her face. His chapel would have been... Just, I, this is what we assume, and this is before if the... I think they've established if the TOS was like 2266 to 2269, this is going to be 22... Before 2279, it's that 10-year gap. So she's 10, 8 to 10 years older. So probably near 40. Yeah. Whereas number one is well, and, and that's the weird thing because you know number one was a was a young crew member. You figure she's probably about twenty seven, twenty eight uh, when they were doing the the the, the, the story aboard the Enterprise because she kept turning down promotions and such. And uh, Robert Apple pulled her aside and is like, "Why do you keep turning down promotions? You know, you've got people that started out as cadets that now outrank you." You know, so she's probably in her, her her late twenties, maybe even early thirties, and then so she'd be at least in her fifties well, here. That's standard for uh, the first officer aboard the Enterprise to turn down. Uh, how many times did Riker turn down just so he could stay on the flagship? Four or five, yeah, at least three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the series got canceled, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the the noses on uh, Magil Barrett in both incarnations here. The nose is exactly the same shape between Chapel and Number One. The mouth is the same. I think that he was he was drawing the same face. Um, well, I mean, the thing is that the Chapel images, some of them definitely look like they're de- a photo reference. Like he may have traced a, a photo mm-hmm. on the light board. Whereas on Number One, he's created a model that he works from. The nose being the same shape is you know normal happenstance there for that, but. Yeah, you know he's he draws uh, number one pretty much freehand. He doesn't refer back to the uh, you know we're no uh, the cage or the menagerie or anything like that. Right, right, right. He's it just dawned on me that like uh, that a lot of characters end up being admirals in Star Trek in the Star Trek verse because uh, I think we've all watched Picard. wasn't wasn't Riker an admiral in that as well before he retired and then no, comes he was, back. He was yeah, captain. He was right. 
Oh, and uh, at the end of uh, yeah, in Picard or the end of the t- yeah, and uh, Picard, Picard. Picard, he was just a captain, and at one point, oh, no, I thought he was an admiral. Didn't he get re- he I got reinstated just to go back, just to go help Picard? I thought he was just still a captain because well, I'm I think going on the Google machine. I think he was referred to at one point. Picard refers to him as commander. I'm like, no, he should be captain because he's Captain Riker in Nemesis. Because he's getting his own ship, but uh, that's what always irked me about um, Janeway. Janeway made Admiral because we see her in. Uh, is he's it, Captain Riker. Is he Captain Riker? But she makes Admiral. I don't know how soon after she gets she gets the uh, Voyager back, and she's the one that's. Um, is that uh, when does when does Picard talk to her? Is that um, Insurrection? He talks to Admiral Janeway, and he's still oh, a captain. That... He's still a captain. Come on, he's yeah. done more than she. Yeah, she got her ship back, but he's done more. How come he's not an admiral? Well, <laughs> so you have to understand. In the, it's the Oprah. In the, you get an admiral. The, you get an admiral. No, right. in the future, you know they're they're doing the uh, the uh, equality thing. They're advancing women into positions of authority to make up for years of discrimination through uh, oh, okay. Starfleet. Okay. Are you buying this? No. No. Well, okay. I will say this: next gen often. <laughs> I think more times out of ten than not, the when they when he would interact with an admiral, it was a woman. I think that was a makeup of because on you never had. I mean, in the TOS, they said, "Well, a woman can't be a captain of a starship." Well, or they, they barely got them want... on the bridge of the Enterprise. Well, you know, number one's a good example. When they did the original Cage yep. uh, pilot, one of the big complaints they had was a woman in a strong position of, yeah. of authority. Yeah. They they couldn't buy that, so they, they told Roddenberry to get rid of her and get rid of the Vulcan, the pointier guy, because he looked too much like the devil. And, and Roddenberry stuck to his guns on Spock, but he still he had to he had to get his girlfriend something, so he made her the nurse, and the and the computer. Yeah, but I mean, she got you know a very strong episode within like the first ten episodes. Wasn't the what what little girls are made of one one of the very that's first right. episodes? That's yeah, early. That's, that's early right. season one. And 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 that was a Christine Chapel episode. Yeah, it sure was. We never get another one that's that strong. That's a really weird episode if you watch it too. It feels oh, yeah. weird. Well, that's one. Of the, that's one out. of the episodes that when when Next Gen comes around, they act like Data is the first android they've ever seen. He's this marvel right. of of create right. of creation. You know. <laughs> well, well, hey, did, were all these files classified i mean there's uh you know there is roger corby his androids i I will tell you what happened i will tell you what happened and it all goes back to bruce maddox before measure of a man bruce maddox went to corby's world and he disassembled every one of those androids and failed to reproduce the positronic matrix and so he kept going kept going kept going the next logical step is data but he should actually you know try to find lore and do that to him well, what about uh, 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 Mutt's Planet? That's a place that's run by androids. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and uh, what, what about the female android from Requiem from Methuselah? Exactly. I mean, right he was there. probably, if he was still, if uh, Flint was still alive, he could show him how to, um, of course, she had the same problem that Lol, you know, she had emotions and then she died. But if... Poor Lol. I just wish they would ever wish they'd oh, ever oh, reference oh. that. Do they? It's they act like Data's the first android to come around, and nobody's thought about building an android before that. But yeah, I've he's just the only too. android that wants to be part of the Federation. That's all. He wants to be a real boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's 
Star Trek's I mean, version of Data is pleasant. <laughs> he's subservient. He follows orders, and he's someone that you know doesn't bristle in the crewman except for that stupid doctor, Pulaski. Uh, <laughs> um, Any uh, wow. He, fa- he falls for the uh, the Borg queen when she puts that little piece of meat on him. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He just plays along. Does he? Does he? Wait, 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 wait. What, or does he switch sides when he finds out they've lost? Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no, I said, Dana, did you consider it? And he says for point three six eight seconds for an android, that's an eternity. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I I've, I've heard, I've heard, uh, you know, talked to it on another podcast. I was, they think Data has emotions, he just doesn't know how to deal with them. He does, That's why he says, because if you watch the show, he's always... Showing that he has some type of emotion, and right. it's just that he doesn't know—he doesn't know how to process them, or doesn't know what they are. So he's not that he doesn't have emotions; he doesn't know how to integrate them. So, or it's just poor writing, one or the other. And then eventually, <laughs> Lord gives him the, uh, an emotion chip that just overwhelms him. Yeah, you remember but, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know the 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 data storyline, you know, again was pushed back and forth around by more than one writer. And as a, as a, as a result of that, the consistency of it was kind of off. So when they were writing data and generations and they make him put in that big gigantic chip, when soon just had a small (laughs) one, the size of a Alabama tick. um, (laughs) Did anybody, uh, did anybody notice in that movie where, where he gets that big chip and he starts to laugh hysterically and he says, I yeah. don't know what's wrong. Did that unnerve you when he was behaving that way? The first I mean, time, I, yes. A lot. Um, I really was uncomfortable in the theater when I saw that. That was like, I thought they were going to do away with it. I thought it, yeah. that this was his end. But it was going to go nutty. I thought he already had. I thought it was like, uh-oh, look out. All bets are off. But it's like, but then they kind of backtrack on that so that when first contact comes, he can turn it on and off. He says it gets yep. it was fused, and he and he he's just going to have to deal with it. You know, like every yeah. Picard says, you know, you're you know, we as humans have to deal with our emotions. So now you're stuck with this too. And then the next movie, oh, I can just turn it off, so I'm not scared. So <laughs> that was great, though. That was a great scene. <sighs> but well, I think the... I think we've uh, unloaded all of our. <laughs> Our, uh, we've, yeah, we've gone off track yeah. so much that we don't even want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> but, you know, the, the ultimate thing is whether or not, did you Where enjoy reading reading the Dr. McCoy Frontier Doctor series? And I oh, did, yeah. you know, Leonard yeah. McCoy. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it, it felt like good Trek. And, you know, I mean, even if it was bad Trek, it'd still be better than good Root Canal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from canals to Star Trek. Um, I thought it was enjoyable too. I, you know, the whole series. So this this com- concludes our uh, our coverage of this. I had not read it in a long, long time. So rereading it was, uh, you know, I'd say it's a it's to me it's a mixed bag. You know, as we talked about these final two issues, I didn't like the Murder Planet, and I thought the last one was just a retread. So you know, is it? Is it worth your time to to seek it out? Probably. I mean, I wouldn't go crazy, you know, trying to yeah. find it. But if, but if you came across a trade or you've got Hoopla, you know, Read it for you free. can download it for free. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, let's let's promote Hoopla. How cool! 
That's well, all you I know, the, the thing I'll say about it is this, you know, the, the story on the murder planet was, you know, it is what it is, you know, it's just a straight, murder. you know, <laughs> yeah. But when you look at these last two stories, what you're seeing are two concepts, high concepts that get you thinking, you know, what would you do if you had the ability to change things like that, the butterfly effect, so to speak. Yep. You know, or the other one where, you know, what if you were able to read 3,000 words per second and retain everything perfectly? Damn, that would be awesome. You know, what would you read? For a while. Everything, everything, (laughs) you know? Just don't read the internet. (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the highlights for me, you know, Burns Art is solid throughout the whole book, you know, the whole four issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he... Uh, with With the exception of those aliens... Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, he he does capture the essence of McCoy, so you can you can hear, you know, his voice in your head as you're reading mm-hmm. his, his, his dialogue. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. That though, so those were like the highlights for me. That you know, it felt like Bones. You know, um, the stories were like I said, hit or miss, but throughout the whole thing, you felt like you were actually reading. You know, a a Dr. McCoy book. And uh, towards the end, he does make the comment that all these events happened over the course of a year. Right. So you find, you finally get that. Okay. So Thela and Duncan were together for a long time, you know, maybe a longer time before they became what they ultimately became. Though I, I obviously think they were doing the nasty within a couple of days of getting on the ship <laughs> together. Not like there's a whole lot to do while you're in the middle of space travel. I was right. expecting that this was going to pay off, that, that their relationship was going to pay off to you know, either produce, you know, an offspring or that this, I kept expecting that that thought thread was going to go somewhere. Like he was going to be in trouble with her family or, you know, something was more was coming with that. I Maybe yeah, there was an additional issue or two that were, was was planned or projected for this and the whole thing got wrapped up after four issues i don't know but it just it seemed like an awful lot of development for the character and a long-term arc that didn't didn't go anywhere well he could have been maybe he was opening not opening the door but he was laying groundwork that if he wanted to revisit he could do maybe a series with just them <laughs> the duncan yeah. and tila yeah on yeah. murder planet four issue limited series well, they they yeah, they go back yeah. Well, it, or it, maybe it's... that's just the launch point. That in fact they got off that planet when they had finished teaching them about birth control, and now they're off onto other adventures. What would you get if you mixed? Well, I if have you no mixed, idea. If you mix Duncan, Duncan, and uh, Duncan's skin color and Thela's skin color. See, I, I I wouldn't. I didn't even go there. I always think of the, you know, how does the DNA match up? Like. Do they get a, a, you know, a manual, you know, that says like, oh, you know, humans and Endorians, that's okay. You're not going to, you know, create some, you know, monstrosity or mutation. But like, you can't, you can't mate with the, like, these races. You know, well, these, they've, you I guess mix, these species. You mix powder blue with brown, you're going to wind up with like almost a, a gray. I think. Unless one I, of I, the genes is dominant. I think in which the, case. The, yeah, I bet True. the Dorian would be dominant. It might be just a little, maybe a darker shade of blue, or a lighter shade of blue. I don't, I don't. It could be, it could yeah. wreck, and it would have some type of ears on her head, ears or 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 tiny little antennae or something. It wouldn't be full. I don't know. It could be like Mister Spock. You know, he seems to be look full Vulcan, except that some of his 
Is it your, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like my son. You know, my my wife is is full blooded Mexican, and uh, he came out blonde hair, blue eyes. So, wow. uh, yeah. Now he's got her temper. <laughs> well, that's good. That's because she's modeled it for him. <laughs> well, oh, did you? How did you get? On. Did uh, my my only big? I mean, I I, I agree. I, I had fun reading all these issues, uh, and he does. I think he captures McCoy's voice pretty well. And he gets mm-hmm. the vibe for Star Trek, so this is, certainly feels like Star Trek, even though it, you know, and there are bad episodes of Star Trek, so we can't really complain about some of his plots not making sense. But I, I thought it would have, it could have ended on a higher note. Um, I thought the the split issue was kind of a letdown for the the final issue. Um, maybe it would have been nice if we get an issue five, so that he has one more kind of maybe lighter adventure maybe checks in with um duncan and thela again to see how they're doing and he he has one more maybe he goes back and you see him visit kirk and maybe him and kirk are having a drink or something so that would have been a nice way to end it i would have liked uh, I, I would actually would have liked to see uh, a scene where mccoy has to run across his ex yeah because that's not something you hear a whole lot of about in Star Trek, you know, as, as in divorce now. Well, what do you guys recommend this? Obviously, we'd recommend this to anybody who's a Burn fan. Probably if you're a Burn fan, you may have already read it. Would you recommend this to a Trek fan? Yes, I would. I, yeah. I, you know, I overall enjoyed it. She you took know, the I... whole planet. All he was left with was his bones. <laughs> right. But uh, like, in, you know, in Kirk's case, if you read the books and such, Kirk got married several times, and it was like a contract. You'd stay married for four years, and then if you want to continue being married, you re-up the contract. And otherwise, you split apart. And they didn't re-up the contract, and then, of course, she got kazatzed in the transporter accident when in that uh, in Star Trek, the motion picture, when Sonic got killed. Sonak got killed. But, is, that how, is that how marriage works in the future? What? Is that how marriage works in the future? That's, that that's how it was in the in the, the Star Trek books that, that bridge the gap between original series and TMP. It's I like think you, Star Trek: The Lost it's Years. Like you constantly had to renew your car insurance. Is that something? <laughs> our marriage, our marriage is fixed to be expired here in a month, babe. We got to go and fill out the forms. <laughs> Either that or get your last action. Mm. Well, think think of it like this. It's like you know, like uh, your marriage expires in thirty minutes. Would you like to re up? And th- this time, though, not re upping is what costs you money. That's right. Those late renewals <laughs> are going to cost you more. There you is get... no money in Star Trek, so that's that's, oh, yeah, there that's is. it. Is don't let Picard fool you. There's money now on it's the a starship. Utopia. On the starship, there's no money because you can get anything you need from the replicators and. You know, you're traveling around in a fully self-sufficient starship, but you get down to the planet. Everybody just does whatever they want. Cisco's father runs a restaurant. You know, you don't run a restaurant where you're just giving out food for free, right? Sure, you do everything. That's what his his life's joy is. Well, the government pays him to provide food to the public, and they get like vouchers. Well, that's the thing that they never go into, which which has always kind of bugged me. Is okay. I assume if you're on a starship, you don't have a home because you live on your starship, right? So that's your, that's your, uh, that's your, your dwelling, your residence, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I just pictured no. somebody. You know, uh, you can write to me at USS Enterprise, <laughs> sub level. Yeah. 
Lower deck. But lower decks. <laughs> but how does somebody? Okay, if if everybody, you know, is okay. Me and David are in the future, and Dave does whatever Dave does, and I do whatever I do. Do we all have the same? Is it like socialism? Do we all have the same size house or apartment or whatever, or is it based on the importance? So Dave is, you know, I'm a garbage man and Dave's a lawyer. Does he get a bigger house than me, or is it all equal? Well, everybody, what what Picard, yeah, what Picard says was, you know, people are are you know made to strive for you know achievements, and so therefore your achievements determine your station. And hopefully, all all toilets clean themselves. Well, I know, but are are there benefits <laughs> of that? Obviously, on a starship, the captain's got to have a bigger quarters than a crewman. That, and that, his family's that, got that vineyard in Lavar. Right. I mean, so, they huge land and a huge house and. Right. So he makes he makes so he and during Picard he makes, you know, Chateau Picard he makes wine. Does he give it away? Does he sell it? If he does. If there's no money, how do you see? These are questions that have no answers. (laughs) According to uh, generations, they happen to throw a lot of bottles out in space. (laughs) Well, yeah, is he he strictly making champagne to christen new starships? That's his. Yes. Yes. There's the bell again. We should wrap this up now. Well, just as we end, (laughs) before the mic goes out. I would recommend this to Star Trek fans. I liked it. I would too. Enough. Uh, yeah, got, and then now I you know, want to go back and watch some episode. I'm sorry, I'll shut up now. I was going to say, there's things we could, you know, we, we, we have our, our druthers and our, yeah, this or that, but overall I think it was fun. I liked, I liked that it was set in the in-between, you know, like right before the motion picture and uh, his attention to sort of Roy Thomas-like uh, bring in different characters and uh, reference different things that we would be familiar with from different stories. So you know, I liked it. I liked it. It was it was a nice it was a nice break from superheroes, <laughs> yeah. which I love. But it was it was fun to, to jump into the Trek the Star Trek world. I would say it's it's equal to or better than any other adaptation um, of Star Trek. You know, the Marvel or the DC or the even you know, later it, it went to. It, and more often than not, if he's going to be compared to anybody, he's going to be compared to Peter David, who was pr- probably the most prolific comic right. book writer when it came to to Star Trek. Right. Um, I think these would make nice. I don't, I don't think I know Byrne has written is it one or more prose books? I mean, he's written one. I, the I Fear Book. Guess. There was another. One. There's a couple out there. I haven't I read them, but I wonder this, these would make nice just books instead of comics. These would make. Um, the same way the other Star Trek stuff has gone to expanded, that you could do a whole series on McCoy uh, and this type of, uh, and you could expand more. Then you could deal with you wouldn't have to deal with just twenty pages. You could like, expand it. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, I I hope before the end of the year that we'll cover one of the New Visions stories, and and, and you know maybe introduce people to that that haven't you know looked at it before. Yeah, those are good too because I don't think we well we haven't covered it with uh, with you guys so. I don't know if any of you guys have read them or not, but they're uh, they're uh, they're pretty I read good. All of them. Oh, all right. I've got I've got one other thing that that's a tangent, but that made me think of it. This last story about do you have the right or should you mess with the time stream if you've got a time machine or influencer? Um, there's a wonderful short story 
that's written about Doctor Who, specifically about Sylvester McCoy, if, if that's important, um, in something called Decalogue 3 um, about Doctor Who, where the Doctor wants to check a book out of a library. This is written by Stephen Moffat, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. before he became the showrunner. So it's, it's really well done. But he wants to check a book out of the library, and the librarian absolutely refuses to allow that book out of the secure collection. And so he goes through, it's subtle, but it's very obvious eventually that the doctor is constantly jumping through the time stream and altering the background of this librarian to make her be a sweeter person, a better person, a more happy person, and that her divorce didn't occur and that her daughter wasn't killed and like everything is leading up to manipulating everything about this lady's background story just to get that book. And it's really well done. Um, I, I don't recall that it's got a particular name, but there are some hints, some descriptions about the doctor as being ruthless and um, that everybody knows that he's running around and that he's doing things. So if you ever run into this doctor or this character who's got a question mark on his lapel and carries an umbrella etc etc look out it's you know instant red alert but it's it kind of gives you um the shades of obsession that the doctor will go to just to get this book Hmm. and so there's kind of dark shadows hinted underneath but it's a very engaging story as it's written from the librarian's point of view as this person keeps coming back and her mental state keeps improving as things change. Uh, she has no mirrors in her office. And then a couple of pages later on, as she adjusts her hair in the mirror, you know, she, she suddenly does. And then a little bit later on, her husband calls her, except, you know, she was divorced only 10 pages earlier. So it's, it's enjoyable. That's, and I recommend that you find it. It's interesting because during McCor- the, uh, the McCoy era, he was written as kind of the, the great manipulator that he kind of played, yes. kind of played the fool, but he was always had some kind of scheme in the background and he was, they portrayed him a little more sinister. Uh, so that fits in with the way he was written in his, his tenure as the doctor. So I recommend it. It's in Decalogue volume, if you want to go find it. I don't know that it's in any other location, but it was worth ordering for me because somebody made reference to it as an early work by Stephen Moffat. Hmm. Uh, we can you talk know, more about this later on. If you as want. far as Moffat goes, one of my favorite things that he did outside of Doctor Who was a series called Coupling that came hmm. up in the early 2000s. And there was one episode of the show where one of the characters, Jeff, uh, met a girl in a bar who was Israeli and she only spoke Hebrew. And they showed a conversation between him and her from both sides. You know, the, the first half was him speaking English and her speaking Israeli. And then the second half they'd show her translated to English and his complete gobbledygook. (laughs) <laughs> and the, the actor was just brilliant on it. And he was just trying to find out her name and, you know, find out questions about her. And he kept running his hand across his chest like a, like a name tag or something. And he's trying to find out her name. And she goes, my breast, which the, the Israeli word, the Hebrew word is Shadayim. And so later on, he's going looking for her. He's running around the airport screaming, Shadayim, Shadayim, Shadayim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a oh brilliant, brilliant, brilliant episode. Moffat wrote a uh, – basically, it was his take on Friends. 
but uh, yeah. very, very British and very risque, but uh, hilarious and just uh, an enjoyable series. The first two seasons are brilliant. And they, I think they but, tried to uh, bring it over here to the States and it failed miserably, they, they, I think. They did uh, one season with like Lindsay Price and some other people in it. And, and uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Golly, I can't remember her name now. But uh, yeah, they just they didn't have any good guys in the cast that were electric. You know, because the 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 main the main character in the British version, um, it's electric. He's he's um, Jack Davenport, which we know from like the Pirates of the Caribbean and and Kingsman and yeah. and uh, a bunch of other things. And he was almost James Bond. And, you know, he's he's a pretty established actor. And uh, and then Richard Coyle, who played Jeff just was brilliant just an amazing comedic actor but he quit after two seasons he didn't want to be typecast as being funny and so you see him doing all serious roles he's got another tv show where he's a priest and you know i think he's a a part priest part detective he's not a funny he's not a funny priest no not a funny priest at all he he, he, he's a pretty serious actor very method so but we're getting off the off the Guys, we've got no feedback. No feedback at all. That's all I'm going to say about it. Somebody else is going to have to sit there and rip everybody a new one for not writing us feedback or giving us any reviews on Apple Podcasts because I I just can't say any more about it. I just say it as we're doing such a good job that nobody has anything constructive to say. Yeah. Well, what do you guys want us to talk about? Are there any books out there that we haven't covered that you're just like, why don't they cover this one? You know, that's, that's what I'd like to hear. But I'm going to shut up now. I think maybe yeah. we we should we will start post, posting some of that stuff on Facebook. You know, maybe instead of asking them, we'll say, "Hey, of these five things, you know, what, what would you like?" To, or, or just pose the question, "What would you know anybody like to see us cover?" So, but actually, what we need to say is we've got Halloween's coming up. We are this mm-hmm. is early October, so our next you know couple of episodes are going to be Halloween themed. We're not going to. I don't want to say what they're going to be. So we'll surprise everybody, but. We've well, got they can some, write um, it in suggest, and we'll yeah. pick the best yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got and some, uh, also, they uh, Burn did finish uh, day before yesterday or three days ago the fifteenth uh, issue of X Men Elsewhen. So that's something else that we'll cover sometime here soon. Soon, yeah. Soon. We do 14, 14, 15, right? We've done thirteen. Uh, have we've we done fourteen? Well, we we done thirteen. So we could do fourteen to fifteen in one show. Right? Yeah. Well, by then sixteen might be done, so we maybe we can yeah knock them all out. Maybe that, that'll be our Christmas book. <laughs> <laughs> well, does anybody got anything final thoughts on these last two? I think we've done a pretty good job of covering them. We had some yeah, great yeah. synopsis. I don't think we've kind of um, exhausted all our comments. But uh, is there any? Uh, I, I, I'm curious to what, what you know what other people think thought or thought about these issues. You know, and if they haven't read them yet, go download Hoopla. Yeah. Put in your library card information. Read them for you know, free. For where you live. Yep, read them for free. You got no, zero cost to you. You can go read them. And then you could come find us on Facebook at Third Degree Burn and give us your thoughts. Or you can write in at gotta get, uh, gotta get burned at gmail.com. How's that? That sounds right. awesome. That's right. Now, is, uh, is the Leonard McCoy uh, put into a trade? I know that, that Romulan Ponds of War, Assignment Earth, um, were put in trades. And, of course, all of the drawn Byrne books were uh, put into that Star Trek by John Byrne, the John Byrne collection. That's where I read them last And that's, yeah, that's what I was looking at, too. But um, I didn't know if the 
the McCoy yep. Frontier Doctor was. Well, I'm reading a digital trade. trade. I don't know if it's. Yep. Yeah, I think that's what I'm reading the digital version of the trade. Oh, okay, good. Because it has all the covers in the back. It's got an art gallery and it's got all the alternate covers in the back. I'm reading them on comiconlinefree.net. So that's another source to get it free. Make certain that it's .net and not .to. <laughs> .to will give you viruses and in, uh, in, in ads. But uh, it's free. You can scroll through these online. We do not endorse that website nor take any responsibility right. as to whether it's legal or not. Okay. <laughs> or if it's virus-free. Your wife will think you're surfing porn. So. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, if we've got nothing else, I think we can uh, we can put this one to bed. Uh, who wants to take us out? Not me. <laughs> Not David it. pretty much already did. Send your comments and feedback too. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, I'll do the official sign off. Then, well, I want to thank everybody for downloading uh, and point out that this is this is part two. But you really don't have to because these issues aren't really sequential. You don't have to listen to part one first unless you want to just get a little more information. We might have talked about uh, and some of the characters, but you can listen to these. Uh, in any any order you want to, uh, but I want to thank everybody for downloading and listening. Uh, again, you know, if you get comments, you know, send them to us. We're we're anxious for uh, feedback. So for third degree burn, uh, I am Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. John Hyatt. I'm Kirk Greenfield. Matt Damon. And no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm David Thompson. My name is McCoy. I'm a doctor. Uh, good night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. 
Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.